so we're going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians first, and then we're going to end up a little bit in Romans, but we're going to spend the lion's share of our time today in the last couple of chapters of Revelation. So you can kind of prepare accordingly as we're going to be there in this, uh, during this message today. Today's uh, we're landing the plane, all right? We've been in this series for quite some time, this idea of the afterlife and what that looks for us as we think about the ever after and, and really uh, in anticipation of uh, things that are to come. And we are going to touch a little bit on end times things today. That's not going to be the focus so much as some kind of timeline. But I really don't want to bring about some resolution to the things that we've been talking about. And hopefully this has been an encouragement to you. As I've told you, little did I know, uh, as the Lord laid this on my heart a couple of months ago to be preparing for this series, uh, that God was using this for me. It was for you, but it's also for me. Uh, as the passing of my father happened about a month ago or so now. And uh, really... Uh, to see and to focus on, to think about what happens when we pass away, what happens for those who are uh, dead in Christ, and really uh, for those that are apart from Christ, and what happens for them. And my prayer is that as we bring some resolution today to these thoughts, you know, up into the place that we've been, we've got a little bit more to, to, to go down and to, to think about and kind of pulling all these things together. My prayer is that uh, God would use this to create a sense of urgency and expectation in your life. A sense of urgency as we think about those that are not in Christ and what awaits them, but also for us as believers. You know, Paul says uh, in Philippians that we should set our mind on things above. And if we set our mind on things above, that it will actually help us in our daily life. And I truly do believe that. I think sometimes we don't think about the ever after enough. As we focus on the ever after, it might help us in the day-to-day as we think about what's awaiting for us and what is ahead of us, that it might fuel us and encourage us to think about how we should live our lives even today in light of that. So as we, just a little bit of summary, I've got those charts for you, and I'm going to help fill in that chart a bit. I know some of you have been asking me questions like, how does this all look when it's all said and done? So as we talked about uh, the past couple of weeks from Ecclesiastes 12, you know, we are spiritual people that are housed in uh, physical bodies, and these physical bodies are not made to last forever. There is a spiritual part of you that is eternal. That is your spirit. And we're told that when we pass away, our spirit leaves our body and our spirit goes back to God and God determines where our spirit goes. We did a little analysis of Luke chapter 16 and the parable that Jesus told about Lazarus and the rich man. We spent quite a bit of time there as well as we tried to parse out as Jesus explained. He took that idea of the grave or death that was kind of general in the Old Testament and gave us some some understanding that in Sheol or in the grave, there are actually two compartments, what we would describe as heaven uh, for those who are in Christ and hell as for those that are apart from Christ. And there are different words that are used throughout the scriptures to refer to these uh, two places. Generally speaking, you know, you've got a place like paradise or Abraham's side or heaven that's referred to as that place where those in Christ go. And then you've got this place called Hades or, or, or hell, the hellfire, Gehenna's what the original language uh, there in the New Testament speaks of, and that is that place reserved for those who have not trusted in Jesus Christ. And as I told you, uh, and I've tried to explain, that these uh, compartments that have this gulf in between them in the afterlife, that they are uh, they're inter, they're, they're, they're intermediate places. There's going to be uh, they're a holding place for something later that is to come, and today we're going to unpack that and what that looks like. Each of those is meant to hold those folks that are in Christ and those that are out of Christ until Jesus Christ returns. And when Jesus Christ returns, that will be a time of great tribulation, but also be a time of great judgment and a time where, where God will separate and God will take care of those that are in Christ and there will be a final destination of the souls for those who are not in Christ. 
And as we described again a few weeks ago, that hell is the place. It's a real place. It's an intermediate place for those who have not surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Similarly, heaven is also reserved for those who are in Christ who believe on his name. And so the, the, the hope to bring about some resolution because there will be a time uh, when Jesus comes back. And when Jesus comes back, there will be that time of judgment for believers. Yes, there will be a time of judgment for believers. And eventually, after all the tribulation and the millennial reign of Christ and all the things that have to happen, at the very end, there is also a judgment for those who are not in Christ. And that's where I want to focus on today. Not so much the intermediate in between those times and places, but there is uh, two judgments to look at. Would you put up that, that tan outline for me there on the screen? And so again, I don't want to get into caught up into all the, the nuances of this chart, but I need you to see that there are two judgments. One is the judgment for believers, which happens right after the rapture. What is the rapture? It's when Jesus comes back and Jesus takes the church to be with him. The dead in Christ will rise. First, we're told, and those who remain will be called up together with him to meet the Lord in the air. That's going to be a good day, y'all. I can't wait for that. When that happens, though, there will be an immediate judgment, and that judgment is for you and me, believers. And I want you to think about that for a minute. That's going to be our first place we're going to land as we think about the judgment seat of Christ for believers and what we will be judged for. But then I want you to see there is a judgment for unbelievers, and that happens after a long timeline happens. But there is that judgment also for unbelievers. And so we're going to start in this idea of the believers first, that believers will face a, a judgment. And there is a, this thing called the judgment seat of Christ or the, the Bema seat. Now, it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we're going to start today as we think about this. Now, again, uh, there will be a time of reckoning. There will be a time of judgment for us even as believers. Listen to what Paul says as he's describing the judgment seat of Christ. Verse 6 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. See the, the dichotomy that Paul is already painting here? There is in the body and there is out of, out of body with the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him whether we are at home in the body or away from it. Look at verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is speaking to believers and to Christians. To give us an idea of what's to come. So that each of us, listen, so that each of us, talking about believers, may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body. So again, there is an accountability. There's an accountability that's going to be for us as believers for what we have done with the time that we have and the bodies that we've been given on this earth in this time before uh, we meet with Christ. The writer of Romans also describes this. Romans chapter 14, verses 7 through 12. Listen to this. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might, uh, so that he might be the Lord of both the, living and the dead and the living. So then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Here we go. Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we all, speaking of believers, we all will stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, look at verse 12, so then each of us, believers, will give an account of ourselves to God. Now, some of you be like, well, I hadn't heard about this judgment seat of Christ. What in the world are you talking about? I thought we were free. I'm redeemed. We've been singing this. I thought my sins are forgiven. You're right. This judgment is not about your eternal security. This is not about the destination of your soul. This is actually a, a stewardship, a, a time of judgment for the stewardship of what you did with the gospel, what you did for Christ and for his kingdom. 
Now, again, we don't emphasize this a lot in modern Christianity because uh, we talk about heaven and hell. We talk about your eternity being secure. But you need to understand that, yes, as you have accepted Christ, your eternity is secure. If you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have uh, confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are saved. But also, you need to understand that as a believer, when Jesus comes back, you, each of us, will stand before him, and we will give an account of what we did for him and for the gospel while we walk the face of the earth. That's a sobering thought. Now, again, uh, you know, some people say, well, I just want a shack on the side of heaven as long as I'm there. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not worried about all the accolades or reward or whatever this is. I get it. I understand what you're saying, but you need to think about this as a worshipful experience. I can't wait to stand before Jesus and say, Lord, I love you. Let me show you uh, what I was able to do in your name and by your power. And I'm offering this up. Not, this is not something for us so much to speak in a prideful way of what we can accomplish. But it's for us as a means of worship that we would use the time. We would use our talents. We would use our treasure. We would leverage our testimony so that others might come to faith and we might do something for the kingdom. Now, what does that reward look like? As we stand before Christ and we have to, to give an account of our lives and what we did with the gospel, what does that look like? look like? Well, it says a lot in the scriptures about crowns. I don't know, understand fully what those rewards look like. Um, you know, I was, uh, I was going through the Burger King drive-thru just this week with uh, an adult member of my family. And the person at the counter was like, hey man, you want some crowns? Like a Burger King crown. And I, it kind of hit me funny, like, I'm an adult. Like, you're trying to give me a, like, you know, so I don't think it's like Burger King crowns, all right? I think there's, there's more to it than that, okay? I hope that's not your goal is somehow, you know, this kind of cheap uh, pic picture here. But you need to see this as, as a stewardship reward that, it's, that you're going to be accountable. I mean, think about all the parables in the scriptures that Jesus gives for the end of day. Think about the parable of the talents where the master uh, gives, uh, puts a deposit down and gives it to his servants and says, Hey, I'm going away for a while, but when I come back, I want to see what you did with the investment that I made in you. This is the picture that we have here of this judgment seat of Christ. That one day we'll be held accountable. There will be a stewardship, like accountability for us. Hey, uh, I made a difference. Jesus, uh, Jesus changed my life. Life, but what have I done for Christ after that fact? What have I done to bring others into the gospel? You and I are stewards of the gospel in our church, in our community, and to the outermost parts of the world. And I need you to, to really understand and consider for a moment that you will be held accountable for what you have done for the gospel and how you've put your treasures not on earth but treasures in heaven, how you have done these things for Christ because you will be held accountable for that. And my, my prayer is that this is a gut check for some of us. Because what you do right now in this moment, how you, how you, how you live your life, that you're going to stand before Jesus and be accountable for what you have done for him and for his church, whether you honored him in your life or not. What would, let me just ask you a question. Uh, what does your resume look like at this moment? What, what, would your, what would your resume look like in a sense of what you have accomplished for God and for the kingdom, what you have done to honor him in your personal life and in your heart, how you led your family, how you, how you ministered to people around you, how you shared Christ with others, how you, how you have ministered for the kingdom. What would that look like right now if you had to take a little bit of stock for a minute? I mean, what would you have to offer up to Christ right now if you're standing before the judgment seat of Christ? If at this moment that is a short list or an empty list, you need to understand something. You've got time. You've got time. 
Now, Jesus could come back at any time. And you saw the little, I mean, you saw the diagram. It's like right after the rapture is when we will stand in this way, uh, when we will be judged in this way. You've got time before Christ returns. And I just want you to think about that. Let it light a fire under some of you, a sense of urgency that, you know what, I need to make an impact for the kingdom. I need to do something while I have a chance here for, this, for kingdom purposes. And it's not so much about bringing glory to yourself. Again, what we see in Scripture is a, a worship experience where, where the folks who have earned these crowns are bringing them and laying them at the feet of Christ, saying, this is what you have done in my heart and in my life. I offer these up to you as a means of, of sacrifice and of worship. What an awesome opportunity that is one day to stand before Jesus in that way. And we just don't talk about that judgment a lot because we live in an age of grace that stresses the redemptive work of Jesus, that your salvation is secure, you're, you're not saved by works. But what you need to understand is, is that God has done a work in you so that you can do something for him. And you have been forgiven of your sin. And sometimes we just don't think about the judgment that comes after that. But you need to know that you're going to give an account of your life someday before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ of what you have done. And it is a merit system based upon what you have done for him and his kingdom work on this earth. It's an interesting thing to consider. I mean, so much happens after that, okay? As I showed you that charts. You've got the, again, the judgment seat of Christ. You've got the great tribulation of seven years, followed by a millennial reign of Christ where we get to rule and reign uh, on the earth with Christ. And again, I don't have the time to unpack all of that today, but I just need you to see there are some there's some, book, there's some bookends here after the rapture. There is the judgment of believers. And then look at the very end there as we have this separation between heaven and hell going into eternity is this reality called the great white throne. And that's where we're actually going to land at this moment. For believers, it is the, the judgment seat of Christ. For, for unbelievers, uh, there is a time, obviously, that elapses and so many things have to happen between that judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, and the, the great white throne judgment. But these are two separate judgments that I want to hone into because that creates that division and where we see these final destinations, if you will, for the different things that we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks. So let's look into Revelation 20 if you've got your Bible. We're going to be in Revelation 20, starting in verse 10. Now remember, this is a vision that John, uh, the Apostle John had of future times, and he's describing these things as he sees them. They're, he's describing them in real time or as even like a past tense, but they are future things that have yet to come. And these are serious matters. You know, again, as we think about the judgment seat of Christ, our, that's not a determining whether we go to heaven or hell. That's, that's been resolved by our faith in Christ. But here, this picture that we have here, it is a judgment, but it's a different kind of judgment for the unbeliever. And my prayer is that this also creates a sense of urgency in your heart and your mind as you even read this. Listen to this from Revelation 20, starting in verse 10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. And underline this, they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Sounds pretty serious. Sounds pretty long. Verse 11, then I saw a great white throne. That's where we get the term, the great white throne judgment. And him who was seated on it, being Christ, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. In other words, just all encompassing this picture here of this throne. It appears to be a courtroom of some sort as the judge is seated at his throne here in his court. Verse 12, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. All these volumes and volumes of books. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. 
and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. This last part of chapter, of, of chapter 20, verse 12, and the early part of uh, the latter part of verse 13 should uh, awaken us. It should cause us to tremble. Look at verse 13. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Here is this emptying of that, that temporary holding place that we refer to as Hades or hell are now emptied into this this new, this new place into this courtroom. And here, what it says here, what's happening to them. They, they gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. In other words, there will be a time when every person uh, who is not in Christ will stand before the Lord, and they will have to give an account of all their actions, every, every thought that they have ever thought, everything that they have ever done. And then we're told that there will be a punishment for them. Look at verse 14. Then death in Hades. Here we go. There's that place, that temporary intermediate immediate place are now into their final, their final destination, which I think is riveting. It says, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death, and anyone who is not found, whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Again, it's a harrowing picture here. But I want you to think about what was just explained for these few verses of the great white throne judgment for unbelievers. First, we have this scene of these volumes where it, it appears uh, that there has been a reckoning, there has been an accounting of every person's actions, every, every deed that has ever been done of every person on the face of the earth. In other words, God's been keeping receipts, okay? And, and he, I need you to sink, let that sink in for a minute. God has been keeping the receipts, and, and he is going to judge everyone according to what they have done. Again, verse 12, the dead were judged according to what they had done, what they had done as recorded in, this, in the books. And then verse 13, and each person was judged according to what they had done. All these volumes are opened up and the deeds described in these pages serve as an indictment for the ones that are standing before the judge, the righteous judge seated on the white throne of purity. Every thought, every word spoken in anger, Every cheat, every gossiping word described, every violent act, every hidden thing will be noted and accounted for. Every person who thought they got away with it, every prideful, pompous zealot who hid his sins and never took them to the cross, there will be a reckoning for all sin. And the scene painted here is that everyone who did not receive Christ will one day stand before the judge and they will have to give an account of their decisions. Even as I say that, I am thankful that in this passage there is a recounting of the book of life, that those whose names are recorded in the book of life will receive a pardon and a clemency because of what Christ has done on their behalf. I pray that your name is written there in that book of life because the names of believers who have surrendered to Christ are noted there. I pray that our names are recorded in that book of life as the Lord has also recounted every deed, that he would also recount the ones that are making that decision of faith. And as you think about this, the, the blood of Jesus, we think, sing a song here. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. What does that mean? That in my sinfulness, I don't deserve uh, heaven. I don't deserve mercy. But God, in his great mercy, sent Jesus on my behalf. And Jesus is my surrogate. And when the blood of Christ is applied to my life, when I confess him as Lord, my sins are forgiven. And my sins are blotted out of the great book. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. But woe to the one on whose life the blood of Christ has not been applied. This is the picture we see here. Because the great white throne judgment is a harsh judgment, but it is a just 
judgment. It's not a time of grace. That opportunity has already passed. But rather, this is a final conclusive judgment of the righteous judge as he sees sin and he will judge swiftly and severely. And all believers... All believers will will have a pardon, but unbelievers will stand before Christ seated in his white throne of righteousness, and they will receive what they have earned by their sinfulness and their rebellion. And this is what you need to grasp. And this is point number three. Unbelievers go to eternal death. As we just described, the reality of hell or Hades, the temporary place, the holding place is emptied into the burning lake of fire. This is the eternal destination for those who are not in Christ. They will join Satan and his demons to be tormented, as described in verse 10, day and night, forever and ever and ever. And I pray that that eternal reality makes you shudder as you consider the thought. Now, again, I want you to understand how to to understand the justice of God. Listen, all sin will be atoned for. Listen, all sin will be paid for. Listen, either Jesus Christ as your surrogate will take the punishment and the the wrath of God applied uh, that should be applied to you, applied to him by faith in him. uh, You allow Jesus to take your punishment. You allow Jesus to take your judgment. But for those who are not in Christ, who have not allowed Christ to to stand in that gap for them, who have not responded in faith in that way, whose names are not recorded in the book of life, it says that they will spend eternity paying the penalty for their sins forever and ever. And that is a long time. Um, some have said, well, we think that that lake of fire is an annihilation. In other words, it's a, it's a means of the last justice of God. That Maybe those who are sent into this uh, in eternal hellfire are actually incinerated somehow, and they might cease to exist. But that's not what I see in the Bible here. It's described here in verse 10 that it is forever and ever this place of torment, and that those who have ex- rejected Christ will join Satan and his demons there to pay the price for their rebellion and to pay the price uh, for, for, their, for their sins. This is their final destruction, as John describes it here, the second death. In other words, everybody's going to die once. Should Jesus tarry, you, you, will, you will die, as we just described. Your body at the first death will be separated from your spirit. But the second death, listen, the second death is when your spirit is separated from God. And that is a, that's a horrible thought. To me, that is the, that is the saddest thought, to, to be a set of cast aside, uh, away from Christ forever, where you pay the price for your rebellion forever. And this is the justice of God, that your sins would be atoned for either by Christ as your surrogate or by you in the punishment of hell. And I don't want anybody to go there. I don't want anybody you care about to go there. I pray that as you think about this reality, in the future that awaits those who are away from Christ and do not believe in him, that it might light a fire under you and have a renewed sense of urgency for those who are far from God so that they don't stay that way forever. The last point is about believers. So unbelievers go to eternal death, but from what we read in the scriptures, believers go to eternal life. Read to the next chapter. Flip over to Revelation 21. We're going to read the first few verses of 21, but also the first few verses of 22. And by the way, oh, I think it's beautiful. These are the last two chapters in the whole book, right? This is the, this is the thought that God wants to, to give you as you finish out the reading of the whole book. And I think these are fitting bookends because 
I want you to think of Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 of this beautiful garden, the Garden of Eden that God created for man to have this communion with God in this wonderful, idyllic place. And then sin enters in, the whole, you know, whole spiel there. Everything happens, Satan enters in like a wrecking ball and tears it all up. But then we've got, leading up to this, at the end, we've got Satan being dealt with, Satan being dealt with for eternity, and now we have this place that we get to experience with God. It's almost like Eden again. And I love this beautiful thought of what the afterlife looks like for us in our final destination. Look at verse 20, uh, chapter 21, verse 1 of Revelation 21. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first, first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he, he personally will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain or the old, for the old order of things has passed away. He was, sitting on the, he, he was sitting on the throne and said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. What a beautiful picture we have here of our eternal, our final destination. Could you go back and put that, 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 that graphic up with the heaven and hell and, and compartmentalized here, just to kind of, this is the resolution, I promise, of the whole graph. It doesn't get farther than this, all right? Just, just put like uh, perpetual infinity signs after both of those circles, okay? So we have the judgment where uh, those that are in Christ now, this is what we're describing as the final destination, the new heaven and the new earth, as opposed to those who are not in Christ and where they end up in the lake of fire. Here we have this beautiful picture in, in, in Revelation chapter 21 and 22 of the new heaven and the new earth, our eternal home, this final destination uh, that, that Christ has prepared for us. And it's interesting because as John has this vision, it's a picture of heaven coming down. You know, we think about our eternal home as being up somewhere way out there. But there's this picture that's described here of a new heaven and a new earth coming down out of heaven and alighting afresh and anew as if God were making all things new. And the interesting thing here, actually, this, some of y'all, this is probably like... Uh, what you don't want to hear, it sounds like a big city, okay? It sounds like this amazing big city. And we don't have uh, the time to parse out all of chapter 21, but from the measurements that John had, it appears to be about 1,400 uh, feet, uh, miles long, which is like from California uh, coast to South Carolina coast. The contiguous 48 United uh, States uh, there, the, the length of them is about the length of this city. It's an amazing thought of this amazing place that, that God is preparing for his people that they might be with him for all of eternity. And there's this picture of it actually coming down because uh, the old earth had passed away. And I love this picture here because it's kind of, you know, uh, a couple of uh, series ago, we're talking how we see Jesus in the Old Testament and how they're what I call Easter eggs. They're kind of just these hints that point to uh, pictures that are repeated and images that point to Jesus. Well, there's actually an image here, an Easter egg given to us here of the incarnation because we know uh, Emmanuel, God with us, we know that Jesus came down from heaven to be with us. And there's this picture here now of heaven that is coming down uh, to be with us, to be uh, our home, and that we actually get to dwell in this new Jerusalem with God. And I love this picture of, of Jerusalem being whitewashed and it being bright and shiny. 
you know, I had the chance to go to Jerusalem in 2018, and there is a distinctive a building, a material that they use in Israel and in, in the uh, ancient city there of the old Jerusalem. It's, it's called a, a Jerusalem stone, which is a limestone that shines so bright white. It's amazing when you stand on the Mount of Olives and you look down at the old city and the old city walls and their white limestone, and it just seems even at, at, at day, daylight and also uh, at dusk, it appears as the city were glowing from the white walls and the, the white uh, stone that's used even now in the old city. I can't imagine what this new Jerusalem is going to look like and what it's going to appear to be as, as it's pictured here in the scripture. Go back to verse 3 of Revelation 21 where John says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Again, this is a picture of, of Eden again, where God spent time with Adam and Eve in the garden, and there was, there was a personal relationship here, and they get to interact with the creator. The old earth, uh, the old order of earth has passed away, and it says here that, that he himself will wipe away, personally wipe away the tears uh, from their eyes in this interaction of God being with us. This picture again of Emmanuel, God with us in this place in this city as sin has been upended and sin is finally eradicated and Satan and his demons and every unregenerate evildoer is cast away from God's presence so that now the consequences of the fall are resolved. There is no more tears and all that causes the tears. There's no more death and the sting of that loss. There's no more mourning, no more pain, only life and joy and pleasure eternally with God. In fact, in verse 6, we're told that there is a fountain there. There is a, a spring from God that will completely satisfy so that there is no more longing, no more yearning, no more void in the depth of the human spirit because everything is made new. Everything is made right. Everything is devoid now of the terrible effect of sin. And what we see here is a perfect embodiment of the Garden of Eden all over again as the rebellion of humanity, the rebellion of Satan has been defeated and the glories of the new and improved earth will be amazing as we get to commune with our God. No more murder, no more crime, no more abuse, no more temptation, for we will be made new too. And we get to be with our God in this beautiful place. Uh, turn ahead to Revelation 22, first few verses there. Again, I, I don't have a holistic time in those two chapters. It would suit you well, Christian, to spend some time in Revelation chapter 21 and Revelation chapter 22. And just let your holy imagination run wild with what this city looks like. I'm going to give you a teaser here. Maybe it'll turn you to the word this week. Listen to this. In chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Again, think of this as Eden again. As clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of that great street of that city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. By the way, there's a tree of life also in the Garden of Eden. Bearing 12 crops of fruit yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, and no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. And they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. <laughs> what, what, what an amazing existence. As we see this perpetual garden for the taking, we see sin eradicated. We see the, the, the people of God basking in his glory. 
that there is this place of worship. There is this place of intentionality where we are healed and we are whole and we are serving our Savior. And all I can say is, bring it on, Jesus. Let's do this now. Sooner than later. Let's go. (laughs) It's go time. I'm ready. Sounds like Eden again. My heart is there. I pray your heart's there too. I want you to set your sights there. I want you to think about that. If that is true, because I think, if I can be completely honest, I think the old heaven and the old earth have a lot of our attentions. I don't think we contemplate, I don't think we think enough about what's coming after this. My prayer is that, believer, for just a split moment of time, if God might capture your holy imagination to think about what that would be like, and to think about what you get to experience, and to think about what awaits you, the glories of God Again, we're told, as Paul told us in Philippians, to set our mind on things above. Because if we set our mind on things above, the glories of of Christ and what we get to experience, it'll help us to make decisions that on on this side of heaven that will impact that reality. I want to remind you, believer, to live in light of the judgment seat of Christ and think about that our King's going to reward us for what we did for our work down here. And I want you to ask, I want you to really contemplate, are you storing up treasures on earth where moth and rust will destroy or are you storing up treasures in heaven? Are you living your life in such a way that that place is more important? Are you living your life as an offering to God that one day you'll be able to stand with before him and be able to offer up your life and what you were able to do through his power, by the way, and by his strength that you were able to, to do for his kingdom that you might offer that back up to God as a means of, of, of a sacrifice and offering to Him, of advancing the gospel. But also, if there's anybody in this room, as you are considering your future, and you've never made things right with Jesus, that the thought of what we've just described today, this place called the Lake of Fire, the place of hell that we described a couple of weeks ago, might make you understand how seriously God takes your sin. I want you to understand that right now, there is a means of mercy and grace for you. And Jesus loves you. How do you know? Because Jesus was willing to stand in your place. But you have to ask him. You have to confess him as Lord. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved Romans chapter 8, verses one, verse 1 tells us, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the good news. But listen, you have, to, you have to confess him as Lord. There has to be a time in your life where you change from unbelief to belief, where you confess him as Lord and you surrender your life to him, and he becomes the center. He becomes the boss. He's the one calling the shots in your life. And only you know that you have resolved that or not. But I'd be remiss if I don't ask you to think about that today and to consider, have you made things right? Because I don't want you in that place that I've just described as the lake of fire, that place called hell. I want you to surrender your life to Christ today. I want you to secure your future. I don't want you to leave from this place without knowing that you know that you know that Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord. Because, listen, when you follow him on this side of eternity, when you step into eternity, it's the next natural thing. You'll follow him into your eternity.